Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi there. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we sift through the artifacts of history seven days a week. The day was March 21st, 1963. After nearly 30 years of operation, the infamous Alcatraz prison closed. On its tiny rocky island in San Francisco Bay, Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary was notorious for its rough conditions, the big-name criminals it held, and the inability to escape it. Before Alcatraz Island became a federal prison in 1934, it was home to a military prison. President Millard Fillmore signed an order that the island be set aside for military use in 1850, and soon after, a fortress was built on the island. During the Civil War, Confederate sympathizers, privateers, and people accused of treason were imprisoned in Fort Alcatraz. The prison also held Native Americans who had resisted the government, and later, conscientious objectors. In 1909, inmates built a new cell house, hospital, mess hall, and other buildings on the island, creating a new prison complex that was completed in 1912. Alcatraz Island, with its strong, cold currents, was the perfect place for a prison because nobody could attempt escape and succeed or make it out alive. So, in 1933, the Army handed Alcatraz over to the U.S. Justice Department, which needed somewhere to put criminals deemed especially dangerous. San Francisco citizens weren't thrilled about having a federal prison so close to the city, though. But the Justice Department ensured people that the island was secure. And after construction to increase the security of the facility, Alcatraz opened in July 1934. There were usually about 250 prisoners in Alcatraz. Each prisoner had a separate cell, about 9 by 5 feet and 7 feet high, and there was about one guard to every three prisoners. James A. Johnston, the first warden at the prison who was there until 1948, was strict and ruthless. Radios and newspapers were off limits, and most of the time there was silence. In the early years, when prisoners could only talk with each other during meals and recreational time, they would even dump the water out of their toilets to be able to speak to each other through the piping. Executions were not performed at Alcatraz, but a little over a couple dozen people did die. Some were murdered, some committed suicide, and some died from illnesses. At any time, a few hundred civilians lived on the island. Families of the guards that lived on the island had a convenience store, soda shop, and bowling alley, but a boat did run to the mainland several times a day. Prisoners at Alcatraz were mostly inmates from other institutions who were violent or prone to escaping and needed to be transferred to a maximum security prison. But when you think of Alcatraz, you probably think of the well-known criminals who did time in the prison. Gangster Al Capone was locked up in Alcatraz from 1934 to 1939 after he continued to run his criminal operations while incarcerated in Atlanta. Prohibition-era gangster George Machine Gun Kelly spent 17 years in Alcatraz. Crime boss James Whitey Bulger was in Alcatraz for three years. And plenty of people also attempted to escape from the prison, and some got farther than others. In 1945, 
John Giles worked at the loading dock and he stole an army uniform and walked onto an army launch that he thought was headed for San Francisco. But its destination was Angel Island and he was caught when he got there. None of the 14 attempts were successful, though five people are considered missing and drowned. The Rock, as Alcatraz was known, closed on Thursday, March 21, 1963. Alcatraz closed mainly because it was so expensive to operate and the facilities were deteriorating to the point where it would be unsafe for people in it. It would take $4 million in five years to repair. So prisoners were sent to a new prison built in Marion, Illinois. Frank Weatherman was the last prisoner to board a boat to leave Alcatraz. A group of Native Americans occupied the island in the late 1960s and early 70s, saying it was their rightful land, until authorities forced them off. Alcatraz is now a tourist destination. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to learn more about Alcatraz, I would highly recommend the movie starring Nicolas Cage called The Rock. I'm just kidding. That doesn't have anything to do with Alcatraz's history. But you can still leave us a message at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. Hey y'all, it's Eves again, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History class. I am still at home recording from my closet, so if I sound any different, then that is why. But the history doesn't end, so let's get on with the show. The day was March 21st, 1983. The first wave of cases in the West Bank fainting epidemic began in the town of Araba. The epidemic lasted until early April. In the end, researchers determined that it was likely triggered by psychological factors. On the morning of March 21st, a 17-year-old student at a girls' school in Araba noted feeling throat irritation and difficulty breathing. She also felt dizziness and abdominal pain. Over the next couple of hours, more students in other classes and a teacher began experiencing similar symptoms. Some of the students reported smelling rotten eggs. When public health officials arrived at the school, they figured that toxic gas was the culprit, but none was found. And doctors could not determine the cause of their symptoms. The school was closed, but more people fell ill over the next few days. By March 26th, the illness had spread to the town of Janine in northern West Bank and surrounding villages. Though most of the cases occurred among female students, some also occurred among Israeli Defense Force soldiers. Dozens of people were admitted to the hospital, with residents reporting seeing a car that was emitting a thick cloud of smoke. A third wave of the epidemic occurred on April 3rd, mostly around the city of Hebron in the Southern West Bank. This wave spread quickly, with most students seeing symptoms within a couple of hours. Students and some soldiers were affected by headaches and blurred vision, in addition to the abdominal pains and dizziness. 
after these outbreaks, schools were closed and no more people reported being affected by the epidemic. All in all, there were more than 940 people who fell ill during the epidemic. To figure out its cause, researchers took air samples from the sites and analyzed them. They also took soil and dust samples and analyzed suspicious substances found, such as powders. But they did not find any consistent patterns of environmental toxins. Throughout the epidemic, the press reported on all the outbreaks. The media played a role in escalating fear and suspicion surrounding the epidemic. Some people suggested that those affected had been poisoned by some mysterious agent. Rumors circulated among the Arab population regarding the reasons behind the suspected poisonings. An April 4th New York Times article said that, quote, Palestinian leaders have accused Israeli settlers and officials of using chemical warfare in West Bank schools to drive Arabs out of the area or to sterilize Arab girls. It also said that Israeli officials accused radical Palestinians of using gas or chemicals to stir up demonstrations. But in the end, researchers concluded that the cause of the epidemic was psychological, though there may have been low levels of an environmental toxin present initially. They said that the effects of the epidemic were heightened by anxiety and stress. Reports on a toxic gas being the cause also likely contributed to the epidemic's spread. There was no evidence that reports of symptoms during the epidemic were made up. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to leave us a comment, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at TDIHCpodcast. And you can also email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.